You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This week's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Convenient, secure, and affordable online counseling anytime, anywhere. Go to BetterHelp.com story, complete their questionnaire to get matched with a licensed professional counselor and experience seven days of free therapy to see if online counseling is right for you. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you feel it's needed on an unlimited basis. Go to BetterHelp.com story. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they... And I it felt, felt I feel right. I was so and I just happy. thought, well... I figured it out. It was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to The Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. This week we'll bring you stories of paternal bonds, from a kid's quest for scientific truth to a medical student struggling to please his dad. Our first story this week is from Gastor El Monte. It was recorded in January 2017 at Under St. Mark's Theatre in New York as part of Horse Trade Theatre Group's annual STEM Fest. So yeah, here we go, here we go. So, uh, let's see here. Um, I was putting uh, my son to bed recently, right? And he's like, uh, Dad, is Uncle Gabriel a scientist? Um, my brother Gabriel is a 16-year-old kid who just cheated on his Spanish test. <laughs> We're Dominican, so that's extra bad, by the way. No, he's not a scientist. Why, why do you ask me that, Aiden? He said, well, you told me that scientists discover stuff. I'm like, okay. He said, well, when I was at grandma's house, Uncle Gabriel came home and he was like, yo, I just discovered the new Jordans. <laughs> That's not the same thing, little man. You know, and I put him to bed and I stepped out, but I realized they're, they're kind of similar, right? You know, research scientists, and teens, they got the same goal. They want, they want to know the information first. That's all, you know, that's what it comes down to. They want to know the cool shit first. Only thing different is when the research scientists discover some cool shit first, they want to tell you how they discovered that shit for 20 pages. <laughs> they want to talk about that shit. They care about the process. I don't care, but they want you to know. Teenagers are different. They want to be the process. They don't want to tell you how they discovered it. They just want to tell you that they are the reason you know. And the other thing is, scientists, they want everyone to know. They'll put it out there. They want to share the good news. Teenagers are picky as fuck, but they discover some new things. Like if a teenager discovers the cure for cancer, you're aware that only their friends are getting saved, right? Like, yeah, we're just fucked. That's just not in the cards for us, you know? I'll give you an example. See, when... uh. When I was 13, I was coming home from school. I was on a B13 in Brooklyn, junior high school, eighth grade, coming home with my whole class, right? We all on the bus. 
And I see all the girls there in the back of the bus. They're all giggling. Ha, ha, ha. Y'all can't believe that shit happened. Why? It's crazy. I want to know. I'm cool. I want to know what's going on. I walk over to the back. They're like, yo, what happened? They're like, oh, you know. Y'all, nah, we can't tell you. Nah. They all, they start laughing again. Now nah, I really want to know. <laughs> so I start playing, you know, guess who? You know, that cool game? I play that in person. Because that's, that's... <laughs> See, see, that's what teenagers do when they want to know shit. They pretend that they know, but then they start asking questions to give them hints to what the real thing is. Don't front like y'all don't do that shit. I do that shit all the time. You know? Oh, you know such and such? Oh, hell yeah. Yo, what they look like, though? That's not just me. I know. So I'm in the back of the bus. I'm like, yo, for real, though, what happened? They're like, yo, you, you, didn't, see, you didn't see who had an erection today in class? And I'm like, oh, nah, nah, who was it? And they start giggling again. And then they're like, yo, it happens to them all the time. Oh, that's the third time this week. So now I'm really curious. Now, up until this point, I didn't know what an erection was. <laughs> so I discovered what an erection was this week. But I had to do recon, and I didn't want them to know that I didn't know what an erection was. Uh, let me be clear, by the way. I had erections at this point. I knew what an erection was. I didn't know what erection meant. Like, I didn't know that thing that was happening to me every morning was called an erection. You know? I want y'all being like, damn, like, I'm really sorry for this guy. Yeah. So, yeah. I had erections. I knew what erections was. I didn't know that erection meant what was happening. Cool. We on board. All right. So, I'm like, how do I figure this shit out? So, when you play Guess Who, most people, I know I'm not the only one, you try to eliminate half of the people up front. So I asked the wrong question, you know? So I say, yo, so was it a boy or a girl? <laughs> Funny enough, the same thing happened there. They started laughing too. You know, they start cracking up. The thing is, I played it off. I was like, yeah, it's crazy. They're like, yo, Gaston, you so funny. That's funny. I'm like, hell yeah, I killed it. I walked away. I had a high note. Whole class thought I made this funny ass joke. I still don't know shit. Someone in class got an erection. I don't know what it is. It's either a boy or girl. And whichever one it is, it's ridiculous that it's not the other. I live this shit, you know? So I go home, I get changed, you know? I'm Dominican, I play baseball all the time. That's what we do. I had a game that day, I go to the game. You know, I was pitching. It was hot. It was about to be summertime, you know? It was almost the end of school year. And I fainted during the game, you know? So my mom rushes, she sees me on the floor, she picks me up with the coach, and they're like, yo, you okay? And I'm like, I'm not feeling too well. They take me to the doctor. I go to the doctor, and I'm explaining to them how I felt. Um, and Dr. Harvey's like, hey, yo, um, how you feeling? I'm like, I'm not feeling too well. I'm a little dizzy. Um, I didn't really have anything to eat early. I'm not feeling too well. And he's like, uh, were you feeling like that all day? And I'm like, uh, nah, just, just during the game. And my mom is standing there. She's like, yeah, he's fine. He's fine. I gave him food this morning. I don't know what happened. And Dr. Harvey looks at her and he looks at me and he's like, you mind stepping out for a minute, Miss Almonte? And she's like, sure. She walks out the room and then he turns into a cop. He's like, yo, Gas, so you done drugs? You been drinking? I'm like, yo, we had a good rapport going. Mr. Harvey, we've not been coming here for years. You would know if I was doing something like that. Why, why would you ask me that? He's like, 
I just wanted to make sure you felt comfortable sharing. I asked your mom to leave the room. Do you do you drink? Do you take drugs? You you take pills? I'm like, no, I don't do any of these things, sir. I play baseball. I crack jokes. That's what I do. I go to class. So okay. But why would you ask me that, sir? Say, cause people that drink and take pills and they do drugs on occasion, they feel lightheaded. They fall down, they faint. And I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> so I go home, I get some, you know, Gatorade, you know, I hydrate, I go to school. You know, I go to school that week, that and that following week on Monday. Now, this was towards the end of the school year, so we had a little party. Um, this was eighth grade, we're graduating, so everybody wants to kind of throw their getaway, you know, we're graduating party kind of thing. And this is also the first time I'd been at parties with alcohol. I didn't want to drink, I refused to drink. Alcohol kept being spilt on me though, so everybody assumed that I was drinking, all right? Now, people thought I was drinking, I wasn't drinking, but I like the fact that people thought I was drinking, because now I'm cool. So I ran with that shit. So we in school on Monday, they're like, yo, gas store, yo, you, you were drinking with us too? Man, I was feeling great. And they're like, yo, what did it feel like, man? That was the first time I was drinking. How about you, gas store? Man, I drink all the time. <laughs> So what would you feel like? I didn't get a chance to have none. So I'm starting to say what the doctor say. Like, y'all felt lightheaded. <laughs> you know? Felt like I was in all there. And they're like, yo, that sounds great. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it does, it does. And I poked that shit off. So then, you know, we hanging out, we're talking about the party, and they're like, yo, did you see Crystal's homegirl? Her cousin came to the party too. Yo, she had a period. I'm like, how'd you know? They're like, yo, she had a stain on her pants. And in my head, I'm trying to figure out what a period is. <laughs> and why having a stain on your pants is a giveaway for this situation. <laughs> so I, I go to, I go, I'm trying to figure out, is this a situation where I could ask Crystal? Or would she get mad if I ask Crystal about her friend having a period? I don't know how to play this one out, you know? So... I start hanging out with the girls at lunch that day to see what they talk about. And I'm, I, I, I wait for Crystal to leave the crowd. And I'm like, yo, did her friend have a period? Is she okay? Is she good? <laughs> and they're like, yo, gas, so that's real sweet of you to ask. I'm, I, I don't, period sounds scary as hell. <laughs> they're scary now and I know what they are, but imagine at the time, like you're hearing this shit, that's traumatizing. You know, they were legit concerned, like, and they were impressed that I was concerned, you know? So I'm like, all right. I'm like, so what happens? They're like, yo, you know, like, she, she was getting cramps. Her stomach started hurting, and I think it was the first one, so she wasn't ready. It was embarrassing. So I'm like, yo, that's crazy. But I still don't know what a period is. <laughs> you know, so I go home. I get ready for the baseball game, you know? And I'm like, yo, I should faint again and go to the doctor's office and ask him questions about periods. <laughs> and I can learn what this is that I apparently was real nice to know and care about happening to this young lady. So I listened to what they were telling me happened to her. So I fall down on the floor again. I didn't do a good job. I'm not a good actor. <laughs> so my mom rushes over. She's like, you feel lightheaded again? I'm like, yeah, plus my stomach's hurting. It's cramping, my." I think I'm spotting too. <laughs> what? You go to the doctor's office again. Harvey's like, what's going on, man? I'm like, yo, my stomach's cramping. It's really hurting me. I think I had a period. 
Dr. Harvey looks at me, he's like, Gas, I don't think you know how this works. <laughs> you have some questions? I said, like, Dr. Harvey, I'm gonna be real with you. I don't know what a period is. <laughs> but I need to know. He's like, why do you need to know what a period is? He said, like, cause I didn't know what alcohol made you feel like till I came here last time. I need to know that either. But knowing that made me the man. I wanna know what periods are cause I could keep being the man and being involved in these conversations. He said, like, you could just ask me that over the phone without pretending to fail. <laughs> I, like, I was like, Dr. Harvey, if I ask my mom to give me the phone so I could call the doctor so I could figure out what these things are, she's gonna get suspicious. I was like, okay, I hear you, I hear you. So he explains to me what a period is. That shit is incredible. Kudos to y'all, by the way. That's just wild. <laughs> y'all get credit enough for that shit, because that shit, see, like, everyone here is an adult, so I'm assuming it's been happening for at least half your life or more. <laughs> For those of you that aren't aware, it's crazy what happens there every month. You see that? It's wild. Like, if it happened for anything else in your life, you would just be, like, so impressed. Like, imagine if, like, some new, like, television came out, and, like, once a month, that television, if you, like, rubbed it next to the refrigerator, would make a new appliance. <laughs> and if it didn't need to make a new appliance, it would just discard said ability and do it again. Every month, it just gives you this option. That's incredible. I would pay so much for that TV. And we have people right next to y'all that do this shit all the time. And we just dismiss, we don't even think about that shit. It's an aisle at Rite Aid that just stops it from happening. That's crazy. It's a superpower, I'm convinced. So he explains this shit to me. I was like, all right, cool. Thank you, Dr. Harvey. I walk out. My mom asks me if I'm okay. I said, I'm feeling better, Ma. We get to the counter. She's about to pay the copay. And I'm like, oh shit, I forgot to ask him about erections. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, Ma, I feel lightheaded again. Give me one second. I'll run into the room. <laughs> you know? And Dr. Harvey's like, what's going on? I need this room. He's like, I'm sorry, I forgot to ask you one thing. He's like, what's that, Gaston? I was like, what's an erection? And he starts laughing. He's like, that's the other end of the convo that we just had about the periods. <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, that starts happening to girls when they're becoming women. That starts happening to guys when they start becoming men. So like, okay. He walks me through that whole process. And I learned what an erection was from Dr. Harvey. And now I knew how ridiculous my question sounded to those girls. <laughs> you know? And I was thinking over my head to make sure I played it right, that I pulled that shit off. But I felt good, you know? So I go home. I relax for the day. I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning. And my dad is sitting in my room. And he's like, yo, you okay? And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know, but I paid three copays this week. <laughs> and every time something was wrong with you, the doctor kept asking your mother to leave. She wanted to make sure you fine. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, you, you've been fainting at the games. She wants to know what's going on. What's going on? Why, why, why are you at the doctors? You're fainting all the time. Talk to me. He's like, it starts with erections, dad. He's like, erections? You've been fainting because of erections? How? How big do you think your penis is that is causing you to faint? And I'm like, like, no, dad. I had a question about erections. I asked Dr. Harvey he schooled me to the questions. I'm like, why'd you need to ask Dr. Harvey about erections? I would've answered those questions for you. It's like, Dad, this is the most awkward conversation I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I definitely did not want to have this with you ever, you know? 
He's like, well, next time you have these questions, you got to ask me. I was like, why? I was like, I'm here to answer those things, A. And B, you ain't here to cost me $90 in co-pays. <laughs> over these erections, you know? <laughs> so, going forward now, I got my own son. He's six, he's gonna be seven this year in March. And I tell y'all, if you have a boy, when he's a preteen, a teen, and you see him feigning, ask him if he has questions about erections. <laughs> you know? He's either really blessed or he's really confused, but either way, <laughs> he's gonna appreciate your concern, you know? Thank you. was Gastor Almonte. Gastor is a storyteller and stand-up comedian based in Brooklyn. He will be appearing on season three of This Is Not Happening on Comedy Central, and he is founder and host of Stoops to Stages, a weekly interview series featuring many talented independent artists from the worlds of music and comedy. Stay tuned for the next story after this message from our sponsor. I want to tell you about a top-rated production by American Public Media, Brains On. It's a podcast for kids and curious adults. What makes this show special is that it is really driven by kids. They submit questions like, why do cats purr? How does the internet get to us? And do we all see the same colors? And then they interview real scientists and experts to find those answers. And sometimes that means talking to a food scientist or a snake handler, or maybe it means putting on a play about sound waves or writing songs about sleep. And it's real science, but the whole thing is filled with things like funny songs and mystery sounds to make it fun and entertaining for both kids and adults. Seriously, it's built to be enjoyable for parents, too, so you can listen with your kids. I know a lot of our listeners have kids. This is a unique, interactive way for the whole family to learn and laugh together. In June, they're launching a special series on cars that's perfect for listening on the road. So check it out. Subscribe to Brains On now on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Welcome back. Our second story today is from Usman Hamidi. It was recorded in July 2016 at Union Hall in Brooklyn. The theme was mistakes. Uh, yeah, so my name is Usman, Usman Hamidi, and I'm a Pakistani American, which is to say three things. One, when I go to airports, TSA goes, copy, we have a Muslim on line one. I repeat, there is a sandstorm in terminal A. <laughs> Two, my beard growing genetics are the envy of Williamsburg hipsters. <laughs> and three, I'm a pre-medical student. <laughs> now, most people assume that South Asians pursue medicine because their dads made them. Legend has it, as soon as we exited the womb, our fathers picked us up, mucus and all, and proclaimed, yeah, head doctor. <laughs> I'm a bit of an exception from stereotype. My initial exposure to medicine was seeing my dad struggle with diabetes. Diabetes is endemic to my family, a thick molasses coursing through our veins for generations. As I was a kid, I would watch as he would you know, prick his finger and check his blood sugar, 
and figure out how much insulin to take. One day he asked me if I wanted to give him his insulin. I was scared. I didn't want to hurt my dad by mistake. So I took a pair, which was my practice pair, and I began injecting it with water and just like practicing how to inject. And the pair was riddled with holes. And by that point, I was ready to do the injection. And since then, I've been a pro, and my dad thinks I have a really great knack for it. Uh, a little bit more about my dad. My dad gave me the, the diabetes gene, did not give me the tall gene, which is really annoying. <laughs> He's also a, a teacher by profession, and uh, once he you know, introduced me to the world of diabetes, he began to explain more about the science. He began to explain about the difference between Novolog and Humulin, the proportions he used, and why. So already aware of the clinical ramifications of the disease, I began learning the science and aligning them. And to me, that was the hook. And he's a brilliant storyteller. That, that hooked me into really pursuing science in high school, graduating. I had an opportunity to go to Brandeis University through the Posse Foundation. And that identified young leaders and helped them through college. But I wasn't really sure if I was a leader. You know, I did the typical stuff. You put on your resume and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm a leader. And, <laughs> and like, I also knew like, within me, like, I had those kind of ambitions. So back to the health thing, uh, my family and I were, you know, I'm first generation immigrants to, from Pakistan. And, you know, whenever we would show our Medicaid cards, when we go to the dentist or the doctor, people would give us scoffs. Uh, you know, people didn't want to do extra paperwork. You know, they didn't want to, you know, have deductibles or whatever, all that stuff. And, you know, we would get special treatment that was, you know, different from everyone else who could pay. And I was tired of that. I knew that was wrong. And I knew that you, know, you shouldn't have to worry about your access to healthcare when you're an immigrant. And I knew I wanted to do something about this. But I didn't know what that was exactly. And on top of that, you know, especially when you consider the political climate now, you know, when you're an immigrant, you're kind of taught to just you know, keep your mouth shut, do what you gotta do, don't cause commotion. And I knew that that wasn't for me. Uh, on top of that, you know, just as I was going into college, I discovered the one thing that you don't want, like, like a, some, a kid that, you know, is supposed to be quiet, you give them this, you give them poetry slam. So once I discovered that, I was like, oh, I'm going to be loud about everything. <laughs> and so, you know, that, but then at the same time, that created an even bigger problem. I have this science stuff, got the leadership stuff, got the art thing, and then I didn't see how any of that connected. So what I decided was I'm just going to do it all anyway. You know, and the mistakes that would happen along the way, you know, I'd be happy about them just because, you know, they're my mistakes. And I would be happy that I pursued what I wanted to pursue, you know. But it's difficult to break from the mold, especially the science mold, because, you know, most people who do have a safety net. I barely had a bank account. Still, I knew that if I did something unique with my gifts, that it would inspire other immigrants to really, you know, reach beyond what people tell them that they can do, and that their dreams are limited by the scopes of their imaginations. And I'm happy I really did that, because art has really helped me become a better scientist, as weird as that sounds. You know, with art, you get to connect with people on a much more expansive level. I mean, I've had a opportunity to perform across the country with my poetry, and because of that, I realized how important science is, because science is really making tangible tools and really making differences in the lives of others. And I'm really honored to be considered a scientist. But telling your dad this after four years of undergrad, saying, you know, med school's going to happen eventually, is a difficult conversation. Uh, he didn't really get it anyway. So I, right after graduating, I, worked, I started a job at Sloan Kettering, you know? And, you know, he didn't care at all. 
So six months after, he was like, Beta, when are you starting medical school? You're off the track. So as any good son would do, I completely ignored him. <laughs> and then I continued to do what I, my moral compass was telling me to do. Uh, so in 2013, I had the opportunity to uh, compete on a poetry slam team at NPS in Boston. And that was my first time on an adult team. So in college at Brandeis, I represented Brandeis at a thing they call Cupsy, but NPS is for like the big kids. Because if you do poetry, you're still a kid. Uh, and that was just such a wonderful opportunity for me. But as life is, things get complicated when you least expect it. So NPS is in August, traditionally. And then in July of 2013, my dad, he was scheduled for a quadruple bypass. So it was like a few weeks out before you know, competing. And then, uh, you know, they rushed him to Sinai. And, you know, my dad's being dad about it. He doesn't want us to worry and, you know, these, like, smiles and, like, everything's going to be all right. But, like, me, as the most medically inclined, like, I, I know it's not. Like, the, there's a specific reason why they immediately need to rush him to do this the, without going into the science of it. Like, I just knew that this shit got real. Um, and that whole experience was a blur to me. I, I didn't get a chance to be a son I immediately was in work mode, and I think that that frustrated me even more because I felt how inadequate I was. Uh, so at the base of his bed, there was EKG, all the results, and I picked it up, and I, I went to read it, and I, I couldn't. I just I blanked out on what the squiggles meant, and it, it upset me so much. It just made me feel like such a fraud that I didn't know this, this basic thing, and it just, it hurt me and I, I couldn't really get out of that. But, I mean, I've learned since then that you can't let science tell you how smart you are. And in certain moments, it's okay to not know because the whole point of science is to learn it. If you don't know something, go find out the answer. So, for all of you, an EKG is an electrocardiogram. It's organized into P, QRS, and T complexes. P is arterial depolarization. It's the kick, it's picking up and flying from Pakistan to America with, with nothing and coming in the middle of February from the hottest place in the world just because you wanna have new opportunities for your family. QRS is ventricular depolarization. It's the flexing of the thick cardiac muscle. It's working hard despite the quality of reimbursement being complete shit but you know that you have to drive these taxis, work at these airports to provide food for your family. And then T is ventricular repolarization. It's the relaxation before the next kick. But relaxation is a tricky word here because there isn't time for that. There's never enough time because enough shift starts soon. And that's how my dad got here. And that's how I operate too, because I am my dad's son. And as soon as I knew my dad was okay and back home, I went to NPS and did what I needed to do. And the reason why is because these goals have to get accomplished, right? Can't like, can't wait for life to be pretty before you keep going. Uh, and then with that, my relationship with Sinai really started in 2014 when I applied for this master's degree. And the reason why I did it was because I, I knew that like, I'm still not qualified yet to be in medical school because med school is really a complicated process. So I was like, I need to do this so that I can get my stuff together. And I explained that to my dad and he got it. And like, he kind of let me do my own thing. And I'm glad I did it because one of the issues that I've been having was how do science and art fit? 
you know, and opportunities like this, opportunities throughout Sinai really have made that really obvious, you know? It's like, duh, it always has fit. And here at Sinai, I work here at Sinai, meaning what I do now, I, I work on cell death and mitochondria. Ooh. So it's basically understanding like how cells determine their fate, which is a cool idea. And this is really a basic biology kind of lab. And what it teaches me is why the cells or the neurons in Muhammad Ali's brain couldn't answer the 10 count, why the beta cells in my father's pancreas are disappearing like sugar crystals in water, and why cancer cells, they blossom into tumors just before petals fall beside gravestones. Another thing here I learned is that, ironically, the metaphors, they find you, right? I'm constantly worried about my fate, and especially now because I didn't get into med school this cycle. And that means I have a whole bunch of other stuff to do now. And it's, it's weird, it's frustrating, it's nerve wracking, but I think that's just life, right? And I'm trying to embrace that as best as I can. Now you'd assume my dad would be upset about all this. He's not, he's actually really supportive because he's seen how much I've struggled and really pushed myself. Uh, a unique thing that my dad and I both have in a I don't know if unique's the right word, but we were both actually patients at Sinai. Uh, like right in the beginning of 2015, I was there for about 10 days. I had diverticulitis, just like Brock Lesnar. <laughs> and you know, he's he gets it. He gets that, you know what, my son, he's doing his own thing. And I I'm also understanding that although science has learning curves, the greatest learning curve is being a dad. And he gets that, you know. Like I've done the part where I've pushed him and pushed him and he's gonna do what he needs to do. He gets that I can't just walk into Columbia. And one thing I'm learning is the mistakes that you make, you know, you have to own them and the people who love you will get that those are your, your precious things, those are your gifts that you're learning from. So my, my folks still live in Greenpoint um, and I visit them on the weekends and then one day after, I, the night before, I had a conversation with my dad that, all right, Med school's not happening yet. Um, that morning, you know, I, I always see him before I go. And, you know, I shake his hand. And then he holds my hand a little longer. You know, his hands are big, you know, big and puffy. And he holds my hand and he says, Beta, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of all the hard work you've done. Thank you. That was Usman Hamidi. Usman received his MS in Biomedical Sciences from Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. His research focused on cancer biology, specifically on how cells determine their fate and sometimes write their own destinies. He's also a poet with experience performing and coaching at both collegiate and national poetry slams. Usman has been highlighted on the Huffington Post and Upworthy and featured at multiple venues and has been invited to speak at the Harvard Kennedy School and the White House. If you enjoyed today's story or fan of the podcast, please consider subscribing or writing us a review on iTunes. It helps us climb up the rankings and helps new listeners find the podcast. Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany and Company Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. 
Story Collider is produced by me, Liz Neely, Aaron Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, Cassie Soliday, and Nissa Greenberg, with help from Farah Ahmad, Ellie Chen, and Skylar Bear. The podcast is produced by Zoe Saunders, and the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Under St. Mark's and Union Hall for hosting these shows, and to my dad for teaching me everything I needed to know about geology. Thanks for listening. Detour is an app all about not looking at your phone and instead looking at the world. They've got 150 immersive audio walks from Radiolab, Ken Burns, and more. It's like a great podcast that also guides you through some fascinating place. Go to detour.com story to take one for free.